Hello, I'm David Lee and this is the Sustainable Scotland podcast brought to you by The Scotsman, Scotland's national newspaper since 1817, now bringing fresh and relevant content to 21st century audiences. Sustainable Scotland looks at how Scotland is doing in its efforts to be cleaner and greener and whether this generation is really leaving the world in a better state for the next. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Adam Smith's Panmure House, which in 2023 is celebrating the 300th anniversary of the birth of the great Scottish economist and philosopher, one of the central figures in the Scottish Enlightenment. I'm joined today by Professor Adam Dixon, who is Adam Smith Chair in Sustainable Capitalism at Edinburgh Business School, part of Harriet Watt University. The Adam Smith Chair in Sustainable Capitalism is a first for Scotland, a first for the UK, and it's believed to be the first time in the world that a chair has been created in the subject of sustainable capitalism. So that seems to be a good place to start. So welcome, Adam Dixon. Um, Adam, there have been some comments since your appointment that sustainable capitalism is perhaps an oxymoron, somewhat of a contradiction in terms. What do you say to people who might think the very nature of capitalism cannot be truly sustainable? Well, first, say, uh, David, thank you for for having me and and giving me the opportunity to talk about my new position and Panmure House. Um, so you're right. When when I told people, uh, some colleagues, that I was coming here to take up a chair in sustainable capitalism, a, quite a fair number said, well, sustainable capitalism, that's an oxymoron. Capitalism is not, uh, nor will it ever be sustainable. And likewise, after when we announced my new role, there was um, some pushback on uh, certain sections of Twitter that also said that, oh, it's, it's an oxymoron. Some even saying, is this a parody? Now, I welcome criticism uh, um, of capitalism, of sustainability, and I think that's what we're trying to do here. So my response to that has been, well, let's separate out the adjective sustainable from the noun capitalism. On the one hand, we can critique, we should critique capitalism. Um, what does capitalism provide? Where are the faults in capitalism? Um, because capitalism, although you can say there's a, a singular form of capitalism, it, it still comes in a lot of variations. And we see that historically. Um, yes, there's still exploitation in parts of the world. Um, yes, there are many challenges that seem to be not in the reach of, of capitalist dynamics that we need to address perhaps in other ways. And so what we're trying to do, what I would like to do in my position is still critique and understand the limits of capitalism, but also the potential. And the same can be said about sustainable uh, and sustainability. Uh, we need to critique, well, what is sustainable? What are we trying to sustain, right? There's a lot of boosterism around sustainability and um, a lot of solutionism, as it were, um, which requires reflection. What are we sustaining? Is sustainable even the right word, right? Um, we need to be thinking about renewal and regeneration, um, not sustaining existing systems. We're trying to transition to something else. And so that's been my response is don't assume that sustainable capitalism means that we're trying to sustain some unsustainable form of, of economic activity. No, what we wanna do is 
is critique and understand um, possibilities and bring different uh, speakers and thinkers together. Okay, so so when we put those two things together, Adam, when we we put that adjective sustainable together with the, with the, with the noun of capitalism, what what are the fundamentals of that as you see it? You know, what are the what are the real possibilities of sustainable capitalism? Because you know, capitalism doesn't necessarily lead to sustainable social and environmental outcomes, for example. So what are the fundamentals of it as you see it in your new role? Well, on the one hand, it's we need we we're required to have a definition when someone says to me, what is sustainable capitalism? And I need to give them an answer. Um, on the other hand, though, part of what I want to do uh, now and over the next um, couple of decades, um, and I would like to be in this position that long, is to reflect and, and work on a definition of sustainable capitalism. But if we want to give a definition now, it's it's a form of capitalism that's that's more inclusive, um, that looks out for those um, that um, don't benefit directly from the dynamism of innovation and growth, both at home and abroad. So thinking um, not just simply what happens here in Scotland or in Britain or in Europe, but what happens elsewhere in the world. Um, and I think most people would get behind that idea of, of um, uh, a socially inclusive form of capitalism. Again, some would say that's impossible, but I would disagree with that. Uh, a form of capitalism that um, appreciates and uh, understands, or if, if you like, appreciates nature and the environment, right? Where we live as humans on this planet and seeks pathways that are less destructive um, than uh, what we're currently seeing and addresses some of these problems. So I think that for me is what what sustainable capitalism is about. It's it's trying to harness the dynamism of capitalism as an economic system, um, which even Karl Marx recognized that capitalism is very dynamic. Um, but then again, it has drawbacks that we can and should address. Okay, so before we come to your work in more detail, we'll, we'll talk a bit about Adam Smith and why it's the Adam Smith Chair in Sustainable Capitalism. But, but first of all, um, it's slightly unusual that somebody called Adam Dixon has got the Adam Smith Chair. Now, is that just nominative determinism or did you actually change your name for the interview? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think my, my parents were onto something. Um, Though, ironically, my parents, when I said, do you know who Adam Smith was? Uh, um, they were like, well, I think we've heard of him. But I think it just happens to be just by chance, though it's, uh, it's, it's funny or a, a, a bit daunting where some people here are looking at me as Adam number two, which I find to be um, very humbling. I don't think I'll ever uh, attain the level of notoriety that Adam Smith has but um, that I'm Adam I think it's a it helps people focus and remember think about what we're doing here you're not named after him then definitely definitely not my mom always liked the name Adam uh, I'm, I'm the youngest of four boys so she ran out of I was you know Adam was probably not first on her list um, but she always thought it was a nice name and so and I think it fits me okay so so it's the Adam Smith chair in sustainable capitalism so let's let's look back to Smith and what what links Smith's work, you know, 250 years or so ago with, with what you're doing today? How do the two fit together? So we should remember that, that Smith 
um, like many of his contemporaries in the Scottish Enlightenment um, and Enlightenments elsewhere, uh, was a very broad thinker. Um, he's obviously considered the father of modern economics, but he was also a moral philosopher. Um, he also wrote about art and literature, um, and he debated and brought together um, scientists, um, and medical doctors, um, lawyers into conversation. Um, he was a true interdisciplinarian or multidisciplinarian. Um, at the same time, Smith was inductive in his thinking. His theories didn't come from a, an a priori or, or um, top-down view uh, of the world. His theories and his thinking came from observation of daily life and experience. And as such, his work, when you read it, it's quite practical and, and, and relatable. Um, and in today's world, often we still think in silos. Um, universities at their best engage with the outside world, but that often doesn't happen. Same thing with, with businesses. They try to engage with academia, for example, or the outside world or other areas that they're not working in, but that doesn't always happen. People are busy. People have their own kind of institutional obligations. Same thing with, with, with governments, right? And um, it's important in addressing the challenges we face um, that we think broadly, that we read widely, um, and we bring into conversation insights and ideas from a range of disciplines, um, including bringing ideas and debates from a range of different places in the world, right? That's also an important part about uh, Smith and uh, some of his interlocutors, that they were also looking at what was happening elsewhere in the world and looking at histories that were being written and brought to them. Now, it wasn't simply just Western civilization and uh, Roman and Greek philosophy that they were uh, thinking about. They were also looking at Chinese civilization. Um, and it's that that comparative sense, that reaching out that is is really important. And so that's why we can still look to Smith and his contemporaries um, to not necessarily in a form of a historiography uh, in terms of trying to just reinterpret their work for 21st century, but taking forward the, the spirit of inquiry, that's what we want to do. Okay. Um, so you've kind of answered the question there of why Smith is still so influential and why people still talk about him so long after his works that people will know. They'll know wealth of nations, they'll know theory of moral, moral sentiment, generally speaking. Um, but that view of Smith, obviously, as with any person like him, anyone who is uh, writing such works, anyone who is a polymath, anyone who's, who's got certain views, it ebb and flow over time the way that people have viewed Smith and and you know how has that ebbed and flowed over the years uh, and what are the kind of criticisms of Smith that you're you're keen to to look at? Right. So I, I mean, as you mentioned, it's um, Smith is part of the canon and he has been fundamental to the development of the social sciences. Um, that's without question. Uh, he was he influenced. Uh, people after him, including um, critical thinkers like Karl Marx, was influenced by by Smith. Though Marx was also critical of Smith, 
and obviously Smith has influenced uh, um, economics in particular, but the social sciences in general, right? You can't teach uh, political economy or political science or economics without um, touching on Smith in some form. If you're going to talk about the division of labor and specialization and economic development, um, then you're going to touch on Smith. Um, if you're going to look at the history of mercantilism and the history of global trade, you're going to touch on Smith. Um, but at the same time, he was also a moral philosopher and, and his, his, his work on understanding the human condition and, and human interaction is also important to debates in, in philosophy and, 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 and even psychology. Some would say that he was a, a social psychologist. Um, but where Smith becomes interesting um, because the misinterpretation of Smith hasn't, I would say, necessarily happened in the academic world as intensely as we would like to think. Now, obviously, in, in economics, the, the, the attention to the wealth of nations um, outstrips any recognition of uh, the theory of moral sentiments, though I think well, that is being rectified. Um, and even the interpretation of both of the nations has been gone in particular directions, but it's how Smith has been used as a symbol um, outside of the scholarly world, um, which makes him quite interesting. So libertarians have grasped on to Smith um, in particular, but also classical liberals, those that wouldn't necessarily uh, see themselves as libertarians. Um, I mean, I think anybody that is concerned with liberalism and a free society um, is attracted to, to Smith because he is so fundamental to thinking about a liberal society. Um, so that's what makes him interesting, right? Is that he's, he's an academic figure, but at the same time, he's been used to inform policy debates or at least uh, agendas in, in the policy world. Um, and not exclusively to the Anglo-American world. He crops up everywhere. And what I find interesting is it's that, that controversy that allows for debate um, in the sense that you have some that look at Smith as this, this uh, uh, proponent of a no-nonsense form of capitalism based on individual self-interest. Um, and that's a very exclusive reading of Smith. And there are other parts of Smith that, that would counter that. And I think it's having those debates and those tensions that makes him so interesting um, as someone to at least uh, whose spirit we should rekindle in debating uh, 21st century problems. He'd certainly have a hell of a podcast, Adam, that's for sure. He'd have plenty yes. to talk about, you know, yes. never, never any shortage of subjects or guests. Right. Um, so let's bring it back to the modern day. Uh, you are the Adam Smith chair in sustainable capitalism. What's the context here? What are, why has this chair been created? What challenges has it been set up to consider right so when i think about what we face um particularly from the perspective of liberal democracies the liberal world order is that the globalization that we've come to expect over the last 20 30 years the globalization that that i grew up with right with the sense of the, the berlin wall has come down um, global trade is intensified. We become increasingly interdependent. Um, but there was a sense that we were in this, that democracy was uh, being spread and was strengthening. But now 
it's clear that that hope that we had at the end of the Cold War, um, that hope we had with with increasing interdependence and inter global in economic integration, that the world would become more liberal and democracy would increase across the world, that that's not happening, right? We see the rise of China, where China, um, which is dynamically capitalist, we should remember, China is very much capitalist, it's very much integrated in the global capitalist system, but China doesn't seem likely anytime to become liberal. If anything, it's become more authoritarian under Xi Jinping. And it's offering its model, or its model is attractive to developing countries, at see, well, maybe we don't need to have um, more democracy. We need more authority in terms of developing our economies. And you can say, oh, well, it's it's good to have a, a strong strongman ruler to kind of kick things, get things going in terms of development. But ultimately, at the end of the day, liberal democracies are the most creative and most innovative places. And we should cherish that. But at the same time, we live in a world that's increasingly illiberal and there are threats to democracy at home, um, we can say. Now, I think forever, for however we like to think of our de democracies in decline um, in the UK and Europe or in the United States for that matter, where I'm from, um, I still think uh, democracy is is still fairly robust. Democracy can be quite dirty and 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 divisive but that's kind of how it how it how it operates but i think it's still relatively healthy but at the same time the world is becoming increasingly challenging and so what the problem then is that if we think about challenges such as climate change or environmental degradation is that we're coming to this world where geopolitics is much more in our face and those that have decision making capacity and go government or in business or investors are having to face a world that is much different. And this poses a challenge because we still should uh, protect our values and our ideals. But at the same time, we share the world with the likes of China. Um, and it's in our interest for China to, um, to, to work with us. And I think finding that, that, that relationship, right, where, where we can we can protect our values and protect our interests, but at the same time work with those that we share the planet with, I think is an incredibly important uh, challenge for us. And the same goes for other issues. How do we deal with the artificial intelligence and the surveillance society and technological change, um, global aging, right? So, I mean, Western societies are, are growing because of immigration, but East Asia is declining. Declining. Um, there's massive population growth, some growth in parts of Africa, big challenges. Mm. I mean, these are these are hugely complex challenges you're outlining here, uh, Adam. So where do we begin uh, when looking at them? I mean, you said you hope to be in this post for 20 years. So you're obviously thinking there's plenty to go at there. Um, but where do you start in terms of that holistic view? And again, coming back to Smith, that kind of that view across the whole system, if you like. So policymaking, finance and business, academia. How do we how do we harness those different elements together to try to start making some sense of these huge global problems from your perspective in this new role? What I would like to do um, and what I have the opportunity to do with with Panier House 
um, Adam Smith's last and remaining home, is again rekindling the spirit of of the Scottish Enlightenment is is convening, um, is taking forward the convening power of Padner House, taking forward the convening power of Adam Smith to bring together um, policymakers business leaders, uh, uh, those making serious institutional investment decisions, uh, bringing them to the table, bringing them in conversation with scientists and social scientists, and I would even say humanities scholars to think about these particular global challenges in a constructive way. So what we want to do here at Penmere House is what I would call engaged research, right? Where we're not um, looking at the world from, from afar as a social scientist, but that we're having constant and sustained close dialogues with those that are making decisions with the hope that we are influencing better decision-making and better uh, understanding of the solutions that are on offer and the decisions that we should make in terms of pushing forward those particular uh, solutions. So it's about fostering frank and open debate with a healthy dose of skepticism. And and when people do think about the word sustainable or sustainability, the there is there is that default thing about the people think about the environment broadly speaking. Now, obviously, environmental considerations are very central to how we look at sustainability in the twenty first century. Uh, they weren't presumably so much of a consideration for for Smith. So, is that does does that limit how you can draw on on Smith because environmental considerations are so much of the at the heart of what you're looking at now, two hundred and fifty years later? Uh, I would say no, um, for two reasons. One, I think we still have to consider that. You know, we take for granted now how productive we are in terms of agriculture and, and you know, making use of limited uh, 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 land um, that we have for farming and the like. And if we go back, you know, 300 years, it, you know, famines, uh, even here in, in Scotland, they they happened, right? So there were still environmental considerations about how do you best utilize land um, how do you not degrade the soil? Now, I think that's a, it's a, it's different than we when we think about climate change as this big global problem where you have you know you know the climate system and you have multiple actors across you know multiple different countries with very different values and very different capabilities, which is very different than trying to think about how do you utilize the the the, the soil conditions that we. Have have here in, in Scotland uh, 300 years ago. But I still think that there was an element of understanding that the our relationship to the land. Um, but it's, I think the more important reason why, why it's, if we think about Smith and his contemporaries is we're, we're indebted to them I, in the social sciences, but also in the sciences, right? I think the, the modern university um, in part has its roots here um, in, in Scotland. And that should um, uh, be recognized. So it's we 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 we're still working off of that legacy, but at the same time, the question is how how do we address environmental considerations, right? So on the one hand, if we think about Smith, he did reflect on well, what is the role of the state? There is a role of the state in terms of providing um, infrastructure, uh, uh, regulation, um, taxation, and those are all tools that 
states have at their capacity to address environmental problems, right? And we could tax carbon, we could regulate different uh, uh, industrial activities. Um, at the same time, Smith was interested in how markets worked, right? So what is the role of, of business and uh, financial markets? Should CEOs of corporations be making decisions that um, are of um, environmental, or that are consequential for the environment, right? So I think these are the questions that we can think about. So, and at the same time, thinking about Smith as a moral philosopher is that, you know, what is the role of the individual in the environmental transition, right? So what is what is our, uh, how do we fit, but what are our, our obligations to uh, others, both at home, but also abroad? So I think it's it's even though environmental considerations now we look at it as we're in this you know some think we're in this major crisis, but I think the the we sh we can sit back and look and say well we have uh, insight that we can draw on and we already are in terms of drawing on these and trying to answer these challenges that we have. So there's so there's so much to go out here, Adam. And as I said, you, you're talking about being in post for twenty years. What are the key areas you want to really start with in terms of your research? And what do you hope the kind of practical impacts will be? What will you, as you say, the legacy of the two Adams, you know, you're, you're, you're not expecting to be Adam Smith, but what, what are you going to do? What are you going to deliver that's not been there before through your work? So on the one hand, what we want to look at is um, broadly sustainable finance and investment. Um, how can we mobilize long-term finance to uh, address global challenges. But, and there's a lot of increasing amount of uh, work in that area. Um, but what is interesting for me is I don't see a lot of sustainable finance. It seems to be about, you know, it's tinkering around the edges. It's how do you make a portfolio quote unquote greener? Or how do you apply a particular ESG uh, criterion to investment decision-making? That's all interesting and, and good, but I, I'm almost more interested in how do you make the, the, the almost radical, uh, how do you mobilize capital for radical uh, uh, change, radical innovation that addresses some of these problems? How do you mobilize green finance? How do you how do you green the financial system? But I think it's about taking the opportunity to think actively. And that's why bringing people together to say, well, what, what is possible? What isn't possible? But at the same time, thinking about sustainable finance and investment, it's also recognizing the limits of financial markets and asking well, okay, it's, you know, do we want to put our, our, all our um, hopes with, with institutional investors or, you know, should we expect CEOs of corporations to, to take on these obligations? We might want them to, but I still think at some point we need to recognize that in a democratic society, that there's a role for saying, well, no, this is for the state to regulate, or this is the state to give the signal. And it's about having that discussion. We also want to, we're interested again, going back to about what we're financing. We're also interested in understanding radical sustainable innovation um, that addresses some of these particular challenges, both uh, at the national, but also global uh, scale across uh, supply chains. But I think across both of these, it's about what is corporate social responsibility or ESG in a world that is increasingly illiberal and increasingly focused on geopolitical tensions, right? So I think it's easy to look at the world's from a, from the perspective of you know I'm sitting in New York and London and um, in very deep efficient financial markets in stable country 
agrees with the rule of law, but the rest of the world is increasingly not that. And that I think is the broader challenge is how do you look at these from the perspective of, of geopolitics? And that's where I think we'll, we, we can add, add value. And, and you talked there about sitting in London and New York. You're sitting today in, in Panmure House uh, in Edinburgh. Uh, and, and Panmure House was the place Adam Smith lived for the last 12 years of his life. I think it's it's just in kind of hidden away, if you like, between the bottom of the Royal Mile in Edinburgh and, and, and Carlton Road. Um, why is Panmure House important in what you're doing and, and a focus for you to look at the work of Adam Smith in a contemporary context? So for me, I mean, the first time I set foot in Panmere House, it just, it's really special. Um, and I mean, obviously, I think for me as, as an academic, as a political economist, someone that's read Smith and has um, recognized his influence on, on the social sciences in general, it's just amazing to be in a place that this is where he lived this is where he dined and interacted with others um, in a really important period in Scottish history, but I would say global history in this trend, the, the, the transition that they were having from, you know, the pre-modern modern to the modern, moving from mercantilism to market exchange, moving away from feudalism, um, uh, where you had, you know, at the same time, you know, the, the, the American Revolution, and this wellspring of democracy happening. We could just say, oh, this is a house that's been renovated, but it just is, it's more special than that. And it's, it's not very large. There's, the rooms are um, big enough to hold small lectures and have dinners. Um, and it's that intimacy, which is quite special. So for me, it's this, it offers a, an opportunity to bring people in. And it's, I don't want to kind of say it's like a church, right? But, you know, for, for those that are religious and you know, go to a church or a mosque, you know, these, these, these buildings, they're just, they're buildings, but they have, they have purpose and they have meaning. Mm. And Panmere House has that as well. You, you walk into it and you just think to yourself, wow, this is a place where people thought of, you know, the issues of their day. And that's what we want to do again. And this is where I want to, to bring people here to Panmere House, bring people to Edinburgh. That's why I think it just offers that it's it's that symbolism that 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 of of a place where we can open and frank debate, where we can value um, free uh, expression and free speech to to really put ideas under pressure. And just talking a bit more about Panmure House and specifically about the Panmure House Prize, you're a member of the judging panel for the Panmure House Prize. What what is the prize? And, and what does it reward in the spirit of Smith? Yeah, so the, the Panmere House Prize, it's been running for two years now. And it uh, to the winner, uh, um, the winner received 75,000 uh, US dollars for a research proposal that they do over a year, pushing people in a different direction that they might not win, a, a, let's say a conventional research grant on. Um, and what's nice about the Panmere House Prize is that the, the judging panel um, has a number of, of really distinguished individuals, such as James Anderson, um, has John Sir John Kay, um, Oxford economics professor and longtime uh, uh, columnist in the Financial Times, um, along with other another other range of, of um, individuals from around the globe. And there is a there is some inter interaction with with the judging panel and the 
and the um, the winner. So the winner obviously present, you know, they've chosen, but then they present an interim report on what they do, and then they there's a final presentation. And I almost like to think of it, um, and I'm just coming into this, but you look at the the panel, and you know, there's such distinguished individuals on it that it's almost like a dragon's den, right, where someone comes in and it's you get to work with uh, this investor, and obviously the the people coming in are the experts, but it's more about having those that have that are that have been um, um, working in, in 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 different fields to think about wow this is a major innovation this is what you could do and you know to to provide insight or at least uh, um, make it more than just a discrete piece of research and that's why it's an interesting opportunity for people to for researchers uh, anywhere to apply for great um and anyone wanting to find out more about the pan Muir house prize uh panmuirhouse.org there's loads of information about the things we've talked today on on the website you can find out more there so just finally, Adam, coming back to to this kind of like you know the legacy of the two Adams, which you jokingly talked about yeah. before, um, there's not much doubt about the legacy that Adam Smith's left behind. Uh, what about the legacy of Adam Dixon? Uh, however long you're in this role, what would you like to achieve in it? What would success look like to you when you leave Pamuel House behind? That's a um, that's a that's a quite tough 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 question. Partly because I. I tend to look at scholarship as very in incremental. And I always see myself as standing on the shoulders of giants and thinking to myself, if I can make just a minor addition, that's enough. Um, will I ever have the notoriety of Adam Smith? I, I, I tend to not think so. Um, and it's not something I necessarily see. For me, it's more about if, uh, and I don't, have to be known for something. For me, it's about, you know, over the next two decades or so, um, who can I bring together and, and what influence will we have? Could we have made a difference in having someone think slightly differently about something? Could we, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's that for me that is, is, is useful. It's, it's not so much what does my name carry on? It's more what conversations, what dialogues have I had that have contributed to, to, different practices, different policy choices, or just even a different understanding of the world that we're in, right? It's simple as that, right? Having a, 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 it could be just one conversation. And I think for me, that is fulfilling. And at the end, if I got to have at least some of those conversations, I hope to have hundreds of those kinds of conversations. I hope to reach obviously as many people as I can, but it's that, you know, if, if that's all it is, then I'll be happy. Great stuff. Thanks very much indeed to Professor Adam Dixon for his terrific insights today. This podcast is part of the Sustainable Scotland series produced by The Scotsman. And this episode was delivered in partnership with Adam Smith's Panmure House. Academics from around the globe can apply for the Panmure House Prize, as mentioned in the podcast, with applications open until the 4th of April 2023. The public is also invited to watch the 2022 winner results meeting on the 15th of September 2023 via live stream. More information on both this year's prize and last year's winner results meeting can be found on panmuirhouse.org. And there's loads more really interesting material on there about Adam Smith's Panmuir House, Adam Smith and the great events programme ahead. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Sustainable Scotland. 
If you would like to connect to the Scotsman's significant and influential audiences, both online and in print, to tell your own sustainable Scotland story, please email podcasts at scotsman.com. And please listen out for more episodes of Sustainable Scotland on all your favourite podcast platforms. Sustainable Scotland is presented by me, David Lee, and it's produced by Andrew Mulligan.